This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Jay Bear. Jay brings 27 years of marketing and customer experience expertise and has worked with more than 700 companies, 700, no big deal, including 36 of the Fortune 500s. In his keynotes and webinars, Jay teaches how to grow businesses by giving customers a differentiated experience they notice and talk about. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast, Jay. Thanks so much, Nick. Great to be here. I always wanted to ask what happens if somebody presses two. Like, who are they? Who are they connected to? Are they connected to Jay Bear? We don't. We don't. We don't know. It's a it mystery. Could, it could be Jay Bear, or it could be Chuck Norris. Uh, could, the yeah. world has never got back to me if they hadn't <laughs> pressed one. Good to know. So maybe I'm going to forward all the conversations from here on out on the press two for Jay. Press two for Jay podcast. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> So one question that I ask every single guest, Jay, is what's one thing people might not know about you? Well, I am a certified tequila sommelier. So I actually am licensed to set up uh, tequila tastings and things like that. I grew up in Arizona. So I come by uh, my agave spirits love geographically. So that's probably not something that everybody knows. And so I, I have a lot of tequilas and I collect them and I go to Mexico a lot and, and study uh, the miracle of, uh, of agave spirits. That is pretty sweet. One other thing that I, I've done a little bit of creeping on you and that you were a certified or you are a certified barbecue judge. Also true. Also a certified barbecue judge. I went to barbecue school to, to get that certification, which is a delicious school to attend. Terrible football team, but delicious school. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun and, and learn a lot about not just how to make barbecue, but Competitive barbecue is no joke because, you know, individuals are competing for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of prize money. And so you have to take it real seriously. Yeah. I, I am a sucker for some barbecue. I, nice. I, I love uh, smoking uh, barbecue, but uh, if you were to have one more barbecue, uh, what would it be? Well, I mean, I always sort of feel like and this will be controversial in the barbecue community, but I always feel like the the pinnacle is a perfectly dialed in brisket, right? I just sort of feel like when it's done well and brisket is the most temperamental of, right. of all of the meats, it's it's really easy to mess it up. And in partially because briskets themselves pre-cooked vary a lot as a cut of meat. So perfect brisket is probably my favorite, but I would say a really, really excellently created pulled pork, which is not as hard to make, but it's hard to make really delicious because they're always pretty good. It's like pizza, right? Mm-hmm. The pork pork shoulder is the easiest thing for me. Obviously, yes. you get to get to do some other things that are a little bit more forgiving. But uh, we could have the Nick and Jay talk about barbecue podcast. But press one for more. press one for brisket. <laughs> press two podcast. for brisket. Yes, yeah. press two for brisket. There you go. We solved our problem. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about talk triggers. Yeah. You know, obviously your book was, a, is, is a huge success, but I have a, a bunch of questions that I want to okay. drill down in. Um, the first one I have is how do you succeed in marketing and communication today? I think everybody else is kind of, uh, it's not necessarily the fake it till you make it, 
but you know, I, it's not just what's good because good isn't good enough. So yes. how do you, how do you succeed? Well, I think ultimately some of it's philosophical is, is understanding that, that broad is flawed. This, this notion that reaching the most people is probably not actually going to work. Cause if you're going to try to reach everybody, ipso facto, you're not going to be hyper relevant for anybody because everybody has different desires and different uh, passions and circumstances and scenarios. And, and I think this is very true for, for things like podcasts, right? Uh, I've done a lot of podcast consulting. I've started at least 10 podcasts in my career and the idea that you're trying to have as big of an audience as possible is is really um, a misnomer. You, know, you want to have an audience that believes that this show is their favorite podcast, period. And, and if it's not anybody's favorite podcast, it's probably never going to succeed. It has to have that kind of resonance and, and relevance. So in order to have that kind of resonance and relevance, you've got to do something differentiated, which all sort of ties back to word of mouth. So I, I guess I would answer your question this way having the courage to understand that some potential customers are better than others and to structure your marketing accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, starting at the very top, you talked about uh, the book is called Talk Triggers. What in the world for people who may or may not know, what is a talk trigger? A talk trigger, and I should say the book was uh, written by my good friend, Daniel Lemon. Uh, most of the good parts were written by Daniel. Most of the funny parts were written by me. Uh, so just in, in full disclosure, a talk trigger is an operational choice that you make in your business that's designed specifically to create conversations. So a talk trigger isn't really marketing. It's really ops that creates a lot of marketing advantages. Um, it's, the, it's the thing that people notice and talk about that transcends whatever it is that you actually do or sell. Yeah. And obviously it's not just one talk trigger. There's all sorts of them. So what are the different types? There are, there are several different types. I will say uh, that you should only try to have one in your business. However, uh, I get asked that question a lot. Well, should we, should we have a couple of different ones and maybe one yeah. for this product and one for that product? Don't. Uh, because you end up competing with yourself um, for word of mouth, and that's not a great plan. So try and try and have uh, one. So uh, there are there are different ways of doing this. Um, talkable generosity is the one that you see most often, and that's when the business just gives the customer more than they expected. Uh, so much so that the customer then then talks about it. So the example we use a lot in the book is uh, DoubleTree Hotels by Hilton where, as you probably know, Nick, they, they give you a, a piping hot uh, chocolate chip cookie every time you check in to any of, of their hotels. Um, now, a hotel at some level is a hotel is a hotel. You're not gonna be like, wow, they have beds. Like, yeah, that's how hotels work. <laughs> Nailed um, it. <laughs> wow. Um, but we actually researched uh, a, thousands of Doubletree customers for the book and discovered that 34% of them have actually told a story about that cookie. Mm -hmm. Far more people have told a story about the cookie than have told the story about the hotel. So the cookie is in fact their talk trigger. And on a related note, Doubletree spends less money on advertising than any other hotel in their competitive set. And it's because the cookie kind of is the ad and the guests are the marketing department, which is the best possible way to grow any business. 
is to have your customers grow it for you, but you've got to give them a story to tell. This idea that if you just run a good business, people will talk about it. That's not how human beings behave. Competency doesn't create conversation. It never has, and it never will. I mean, you want to run a competent business, obviously, because otherwise your customers will leave and never come back, but nobody talks about good. They, they talk about different. Like I wouldn't say on this show, Nick, check this out. I had this experience last night. It was perfectly adequate. <laughs> right. I wouldn't ever tell you that because there's no story there. It's not worth talking about. So yeah. uh, it has to be something a little different like the cookie. That's talkable generosity. Other ways to do it, talkable speed, faster than customers expect. Uh, talkable usefulness. So just more informative or more helpful than customers expect. Talkable attitude. And that's usually where you're like a little weirder or funnier or just you're sort of worldview is a little different than customers expect, usually humor, but not always. Uh, and then talk about empathy, where you're just kinder, more, uh, you know, you just take better care of customers on sort of a human level. Uh, those are the five five ways to, to pull it off. Yeah. So, and I think I, I really like that. Obviously, the double tree, I've had the, like you said, the piping hot cookies, yeah, which are legit. amazing and they're consistent. Yes. So how do you have, how do you understand and, and try to realize from any organization mm-hmm. uh, what, your, what your piping hot cookie is, is a differentiator, is a talk track? So we talked about it in the book uh, and we do a fair bit of consulting on this point for brands as well. And the worst way to come up with a talk trigger is to just brainstorm it, to be like, hey, let's get pizza and sit in the conference room and come up with something fun. <laughs> like if it was that easy, you'd already do it, right? It's not that easy. Um, you, you have to come up with something that is A, um, talkable, right? B is doable because it has to be executed every day across the entirety of your business. It can't just be like hit and miss. And every once in a while, it's got to be like, this is how we do it all the time. And that ain't easy. Uh, And then third, it has to make sense in the context of, of who you are and what you do. So there's a big difference between a talk trigger, which is an operational choice that is sustained and, and sort of viral marketing, which is let's do, you know, let's do a stunt, right? Let's do a thing that people are going to talk about. Like this isn't renting an elephant and walking it down Main Street with your logo painted on it, right? That's <laughs> not what this is. Um, and and to make it work, you really have to do some pretty serious research. So ideally, talk to a bunch of customers and and see what they've said about you in the past, because usually. Uh, when you do that kind of investigation, so look at reviews, social media, customer interviews, etc. Talk to your customer service team, talk to your sales team. Uh, you will uncover the kernel of what your talk trigger could be. Not always, but but oftentimes that that kernel is there. I'll give you an example. A client we're working with right now is a national chain of um, irrigation uh, uh, companies. So they they come to your home and they they hook up all your sprinklers for your grass and your plants and they take care of it and all that and all over the country. Well, we did a big customer survey, talked to six, 7,000 customers. And it was really interesting, Nick, the customers kept saying in this survey, we can't believe how clean they leave our property. Like they're digging holes to put in pipes. Then they put the grass back and they clean up the dirt. There's no mud everywhere. And, and when we had interviewed the client, the company, they never mentioned that, never mentioned it at all. But then when we talked to the customers, they tons of them mentioned it. And we're like, well, wait a second. 
if the customers are already uh, leaning into this, maybe we should just lean into it further and come up with a differentiator that really emphasizes uh, this notion of cleanliness. And so we're in the process of coming up with some ideas now. So once you sort of have that direction, what you want to do is figure out, all right, how do we, how do we operationalize it? And then you want to test it. So you take uh, every nth customer or only in one market or only one product or however you want to set up a control group. And then you launch the talk trigger to that control group. And then you check to see how often customers talk about it. And then if you have a sufficiently high sort of talkability rate, then you're like, aha, we got something here. And then you roll it out across the whole system. So it takes a while. It's usually when we do it um, from a strategy standpoint, it's usually at least 90 days. Um, and sometimes longer to, to actually get it up and running. Yeah, I, I would assume based off of what you just talked about, that 90 days would be a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, if you can actually if you can actually get it in market right fast yeah. enough, you might be able to get it done in 90 days. But but as a practical matter, it's often from the time someone says, Jay, we want one to, yeah, we got it. It's usually more like six months. Yeah, it's so interesting that you your client today with uh, digging up pipes and and uh, leaving the place clean. I literally went over to somebody's house the other day and the exact same thing happened, except it, the opposite happened. It wasn't the cleanliness. It wasn't that they left it exactly how they left. Or, and, and it was real clean. There's big old mounds of, of dirt, you know, a foot, foot and a half in the air. And it was around the whole house. It looked like, uh, I don't Oh, I can't remember the, the movie was where, uh, it was like a, a scary movie where these things are going on the ground and you can just see the, oh, yeah, the giant, rising. the giant worms. Yeah. The giant worms. What is the name of that? Uh, movie? I'm going to have to message you later. Yes. Uh, we're, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll add that in post-production. There it is. Post-production. But the point is, is that he was frustrated and he wanted to come back and he already called the company. He was waiting for them to respond, talking to supervisors. If he would have had a different experience and he'd have felt yes. that it was clean, that would have been their talk trigger. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so I do love that. You talked about um, how consistency is hard. So when com- companies feel that it's a, how does it feel from a customer's perspective when companies have inconsistent experiences? Yes. I mean, c- customers hate it uh, because they don't know, they don't know what to actually expect. Yeah. Right? So, so when you, when, when either it's a different location or just a different visit or a different interaction, I did a webinar earlier today about the challenges with omni-channel in a customer experience scenario, right? Where everybody wants to do omni-channel. We've got a mobile app and we've got a website and we've got a retail store and you can buy it on the mobile app and pick it up in the store or you can buy it on the website and we'll ship it to you. And it's, it's supposed to be seamless, right? But it very rarely is. Um, and there's obvious reasons for that, right? It's a lot of different systems and a lot of different people and it's it's not easy, right? But, but what happens is the customer's like, well, wait a second. You know, and it goes back to when you're a kid, right? And you'd be like, well, mom told me this and dad told me that, right? That creates a lot of frustration when you get inconsistent stories and, and it works the same way for customers. So they they absolutely hate it. And that's one of the reasons why when it comes to a talk trigger, uh, we always advise that, that it is available to, to essentially all customers. What a lot of brands will do when they're trying to create more word of mouth is they'll say, okay, here's what we're going to do we're going to do something really special for a subset of the customer base. We're going to do something really special for our best customers or our biggest customers or our newest customers. And I understand why that becomes the conclusion, but you shouldn't do that. If you're trying to maximize the number of people who are telling your story, maximize the number of people who can tell the story, right? So it's not like Doubletree only gives you a cookie if you're a Hilton Honors member. Everybody gets a cookie. 
Now, does that cost them way more money in flour and chocolate chips? Well, yeah, but if you didn't get a cookie, how could you possibly talk about the cookie? You would be, you, what you would say is, Nick was this guy in front of me and they gave him a chocolate chip cookie and all they gave me was a key card. Right. You know? Yeah. Because they have the gold card and I didn't. Yes, exactly. Which, which, you know, I think some brands feel like that makes an aspirational scenario where the customer's like, well, then I'm going to do whatever possible to get a cookie next time. Maybe, or maybe the customer just gets pissed, right? So I don't know. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's it's so interesting that that just the way that that works on the inconsistent experiences and you talked about the the omni-channel uh, failure. I think it's so interesting because you know, one, one example you mentioned kind of when, when, when my daughter says something to my wife says, Hey, can I go outside or can I have cake or whatever that situation is? And I say, and, and she says, no, she immediately goes to me and says, Hey, can I get, can I get cake tonight, daddy? And I say, well, I don't know. Did you talk to your mom about it? But the same is true with Omnichannel. If I had a bad experience or if somebody has a bad experience, and they call on to chat, are they going to chat, are they going to email, are they going, they call and they don't get they, what they want, they go to the next section and they try to try somewhere else because of the inconsistent experience, Yes, which is a failure on the organization because they're not communicating like they should yes. across all channels. When I wrote the book, uh, Hug Your Haters, which is a few years ago now, one of the things I, I researched in that project was what percentage of customers who use social media for customer service have already tried other contact mechanisms. And at that time it was very, very high. It was like a Hail Mary pass. It was like, yeah. well, I didn't get what I wanted on the phone. I didn't get what I wanted on email. So, you know, I'll see what this, I'll see what this Twitter thing will do for me. Now, <laughs> of course, customers uh, have been taught that in many cases, uh, social media is the best place to get customer service. So they're turning their first instead of last. Uh, but but it, it but it's the exact same situation, Nick. Where it's like, well, if if I hear one thing from an email rep and I hear a different thing from a social media customer care rep, you're like, well, wait a second. Uh, how can this be the same company? And of course, as a practical matter, it's a different department. Maybe it's even a different um, company because maybe the social media part's freelanced or whatever. Uh, but it makes your brand look um, certainly less than organized, and 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 I think impacts the. Um, customer-centric nature of your positioning at a pretty drastic level. Yeah. And so what I see also with inconsistent experiences is that organizations don't necessarily eat, eat the dog food that, they've, that they're selling. Um, so why is it important for uh, organizations to kind of see what the consumers are doing from, from their perspective? Because 
you can ask the question or, or have the best guest or say, hey, we want to add this omni-channel. We want to add this whiz-bang technology. We want to add AI. But most of them don't actually ask what the consumer wants. Yeah. So why is that? What, what, why is that so important? Well, I mean, I, I think why it is so historically is, is not any kind of malevolence on the part of the brand. I, I think it's, it's really more of an organizational shortcoming in that the group that is in charge of, hey, we want to care about customers more is usually not the group who can actually effectuate any kind of operational change, right? Now, we're seeing that uh, shift in, right now, actually, um, that this kind of convergence of marketing and customer experience in particular uh, is accelerating rapidly. And in many organizations, the marketing department, because they're closer to revenue, has the ability to dictate operational circumstances more so than maybe a freestanding customer experience department or a customer experience strategist, et cetera. Um, so that's that's good news. So I, I don't believe, like I've been doing this a long time, and, and I don't believe that that most companies don't care about the customer. Uh, I, I think it's they they actually believe they care about the customer. And if you ask them, like, do you care about customers? Yes. In fact, the, the famous uh, research from Bain many years ago, which said that 80% of companies say they deliver superior customer service and 8% of customers agree. Uh, <laughs> I think that pretty much, you know, tells you all you need to know about this scenario, right? It's um, the, the, the difference is that most companies believe that customer experience and customer service is rooted attitudinally. And it's not, it's about actions, not attitudes. And so they talk a good game, but then they don't actually either investigate whether customers actually are satisfied. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like the, the, the status of customer satisfaction measurement is still really, really, really poor. Um, so I don't think they, they, they spend enough time determining whether customers are satisfied. Uh, and then I think most companies are too quick to say, well, you know, satisfy most of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about a net promoter score survey, right? If you've got a, a net promoter score of like, I don't know, 70 or something, which is very, very high um, in, in net promoter score circumstances, manifestly higher than most brands. I mean, that still means that like 20, 25% of your, of your customers would not recommend you. Yeah. And that's like, man, everybody gets bonused, right? Because only, <laughs> you know, 25% of the customers don't like us. Like, so, um, yeah, I, I feel like we are very easy, very, very quick to accept unhappy customers. Yeah, I would say the problem with the net promoter score that you're facing, customer facing or prospect facing or PR facing is how many of, of the actual customers did you actually survey? Did you survey all of them or the, just the ones that were happy? Yes, the, I definitely see that in some circumstances, the, the uh, gerrymandering of the uh, yeah. survey pool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about the importance of uh, kind of, uh, like I said, eating the dog food, but what's, what's the importance of kind of keeping an eye on the competition and what the customers are saying about them? Well, I mean, today, uh, upwards of 80% of customers say that the experience is as important as the product or service itself. So if the experience of buying a cake is as important as a cake, the only way that your competition can, can take your customers 
is by delivering a better experience. It's probably not by having a better cake. You know, this idea that you're going to out product development, uh, your competition is, is pretty rare. Like it's not impossible, but, but it's, it's much more likely that your competition will deliver a better experience than a better product or service, you know, in a meaningful way. What's good about that is that when competing brands start to differentiate on experience, because it's differentiated, that's when customers tend to talk about it a lot, right? And they tend to leave it in reviews and they tend to leave it in social media. And you just start to see evidence of the differentiation. Um, and, and that's why smart brands need to always be doing really aggressive listening uh, to their competition and not just brand names, but product names and related terms, just a, a more nuanced approach to listening um, to sort of pick up some of that early warning detection system if competitors are doing something meaningfully different on the experience side. Yeah, I, I love the, the aggressive listening. Uh, I interviewed Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about active listening. He's like, yeah. you know, it, it's a lot more, takes a lot more attention because you are purposeful on your listening and uh, what's being said and maybe what's not being said. Uh, so I love the, I yeah. love the, uh, the attention to, to listening. One thing that really stuck out at me uh, with me in, in the book is uh, you talk about that trust matters more than truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, that was pretty profound. I, you know, obviously there's, it's kind of, you get, you get some things that kind of stump you a little bit at the very beginning. You're like, wait, what, how does that work? So maybe dig into that a little bit for us. Well, as it turns out, that part of the book ended up being fairly prescient, I believe. I mean, if you just look at um, modern American society, I think um, the truthfulness of the trust is more important than truth statement will bear itself out. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, it was what, six years ago now where people started to coin the term, we live in a post-factual world. Um, the, the, the reality is that, is that truth is now, um, circumstantial, but, but, but trust isn't right. And, and so we're, we're going to trust individuals or news sources or politicians or, 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 um, brands, um, and, and that trust supersedes whatever sort of facts um, that we used to, to rely upon because we've kind of gotten to this point now where, where facts um, are based on um, uh, who you hear them from, which I have some real concerns about where that ends, frankly, um, as a political science major. But uh, yeah, and that's why I think all of that also sort of explains at some level the rise of influencer marketing. Um, the rise of user-generated content, the rise of employee-generated content, the importance of having internal thought leaders uh, create some of your content from a marketing standpoint. Like it, it's all it's all related, which is um, we're going to believe our tribe, uh, whatever that may be, and, and, and sort of everybody else is ipso facto wrong. Um, and that has huge implications um, for, for marketing and CX. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Uh, I wrap up every podcast with two questions, Jay. And the first one is what book or person uh, mm-hmm. and, and customer service or customer mm-hmm. experience has influenced yep. you the most in the past year. Okay. And then, then the second one is if you could leave a note to all customer service professionals and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8am, what would it say? Uh, first one, I'm fortunate because I, I uh, read a lot of books and review a lot of books and all that. I get, I get, exposure to a lot of books in the category and others. I, probably my favorite book 
that had the most impact on me just because I really love the way it's stitched together. This year is The Experience Maker um, from my buddy Dan Gingis. Uh, terrific book. Um, I used to uh, produce Dan's podcast and it's uh, it's really, really good. And I, I like the book a lot. It's, it's a, a book that has enough meat on the bone for a customer experience professional, but also terrific as sort of a starter course um, for a business executive who doesn't fully sort of understand why CX is important. So I thought Dan did a really nice job um, with the experience maker. It's a fun read too, which, which makes it better. Some CX books are really good, but also not a fun read. Um, yeah. It's sort of a nature of the category, I think, at some level. And if I was going to leave a note um, uh, on the refrigerator of uh, customer experience, um, it, it would be to think like marketers and more so internally than externally. What drives me crazy, Nick, is that um, so many brilliant, caring, deeply accomplished customer experience professionals have a really hard time getting their recommendations put into practice. And it's not because the recommendations aren't good or the research isn't sound. It's because they're just not good enough at marketing their own conclusions and their own recommendations inside their own organization. I think what CX professionals um, suffer from in many cases is actually thinking about the customers too much. And that may sound controversial, but it doesn't matter how much you think about the customer if you can't first sell it to your boss and your boss's boss. So be better at marketing CX internally if you wanna actually have an impact on CX externally. Nice, mic drop moment right there. There you go, uh, bam. Well said. So let's say all of my listeners said, Jay was amazing, the value that he brought was outstanding. How can my listeners continue to get the value of Jay Bear? We'll work for tequila uh, or barbecue. I think we've established <laughs> that. So In, invite uh, Jay and Nick over for tequila. And absolutely. Barbecue. Absolutely. We got it. Uh, actually, I have a new newsletter, relatively new, um, called The Bear Facts. Uh, it comes out twice a month. And each issue, Nick, includes a, a customer experience uh, or, or marketing sort of observation and story. Uh, paired with a statistic you need to know from, from recent research. So it all gets contextualized mathematically. Uh, and then each issue also includes um, podcasts uh, that you should listen to. This uh, episode will be included in a future issue. It includes books you should read. It includes a tequila you should drink because I got to stay on brand. Uh, <laughs> it includes uh, a life hack uh, and a couple other things. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different little pieces uh, and it's been going great. Uh, folks seem to really, really enjoy it. It's called The Bear Facts. Comes out every other Thursday night. Um, and you can subscribe at no cost, of course, thebearfacts.com. And that is B-A-E-R, thebearfacts.com. I love it. Go ahead and subscribe to Jay Bear's Bear Facts. Uh, if if uh, somebody goes one step further and says, man, I just got this association. I'm looking for this amazing keynote speaker. How do they find you outside of the Bear Facts? Yeah, easy enough. Uh, jbear.com and the Bear Facts is located right there. So uh, jbear.com has all my info on speaking, consulting, investing, and, and everything else. We would love to work with you. Um, I'm doing, you know, whatever, 100, 100 workshops a year. So would love to be part of it. Very cool. Jay, you caught my attention at the barbecue, but you added a ton more value after that. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Let's do another time. episode. It's, it's just barbecue. I'm, I'm game. So uh, on, on the next interview, we'll be talking Strictly Barbecue uh, with Jay. Yeah, I do it in person, though. We got to do it like, you know, backyard somewhere. <laughs> with with barbecue all over our face. So, I love it. Uh, Jay, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? 
If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them a link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.